Okay. <laughs> uh, let's, um, the reading, the epistle reading is from Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. Owe no one anything except to love one another. The one who loves one another is fulfilled by the law, the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know what time it is and how now the moment it is to wake from your sleep. For salvation is nearer to us than when we became believers. The night is far gone. The day is near. Let us then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us live honorably as that day, not in reveling, in drunkenness, nor debauchery, nor licentiousness, nor in quarreling or jealousy. Instead, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. Please rise for the gospel. The gospel comes to us from Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell the church. And if the offender refuses to listen to even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of the Holy Word. You may be seated. Let us pray. Loving and most merciful God, we thank you for this day that you have given us. And even though you have set before us uh, a series of uh, challenging events in our lives and in our community, we know that your spirit endures with us, giving us the strength, the guidance, and the motivation that we need to be able to radiate your will and purpose. We ask that today it would be no different that we who are gathered here in this midst in a variety of ways, both in person and online, that we would feel once again your nudge, your imprint, and your strength. As we absorb your instruction, may we be able to put it into effect. So may the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, be an offering to you. We present ourselves to you and ask that you would bless, keep, and guide us now and always. In your name we pray. Amen. One of the announcements that I forgot to make this morning is that on Wednesday we'll begin our Bible study on Romans. This is the book that we'll be using. We have a few more in the workroom. It's no longer, well, it never was the pastor's study. That's a whole other issue. You don't want a sermon on that. <laughs> but there are books available in this room over here, whatever you want to call it. And we will make our way through this, this study. So it's nice that I've been 
moving through Romans and we have an opportunity to go through Romans as a group. But I said at the beginning of this sermon series that Romans was written, scholars tell us that Romans was written towards the end of Paul's ministry. So this is the, the distillation of a mature theologian, a mature apostle, somebody who is looking back over the expanse of, of his career and thinking about how, how do you summarize this work of having been a messenger for God, having planted churches, having dealt with church squabbles and to try to calm down all the things that happens in a community? And how do you bring all this together and sort of summarize that yet also present hope for future days? Romans is Paul's sort of parting comments, not just merely to the church community that was gathered in, in that province, but also to anyone who would, who would read that. So we find this morning that he is still trying to speak about what is the best possible presentation for somebody who attaches themselves to the personage of Christ. What is the best possible way that we can demonstrate that his message was not lost on us, that it also contributes to our lives and the lives of those around us? How can we be able to propel the church into the future without getting too much in the way of that message? Last week, Paul had a laundry list of things that we needed to be observant of in order to be recognized as children of the light, people who are responding to the message of Christ. But it all boils down to what we heard this morning in Romans, and that is those who, who love, who love in the manner that Jesus proposed, that Jesus demonstrated, that God has ordained, fulfills the law. Now, Paul speaking about the law, is this is, this is very important. When Paul was called into the service of Christ. He was a Pharisee. And as a Pharisee, he was very well versed and very understood on Mosaic law. And what we know from the Pharisees from reading the gospel is that oftentimes they were so well versed in the letter of the law that they, didn't, uh, they held people to a, a very exacting accountability. And they would be constantly looking for infractions to that law. Whenever somebody else would, would, would bend or, or break a rule, the Pharisees were very quick to come down on them. Paul was not a fan of the followers of the way, which was kind of the working title of Christianity. They called it the way. And he stood by and approved the stoning of St. Stephen. When Stephen went at the elders of the church and said it was because of the hardness of your hearts that Christ was given up and uh, murdered as a, a common criminal. It's kind of a strong charge that Stephen brought, but such was his passion that he felt because of their unwillingness to believe in this, this new covenant that Jesus was trying to proclaim, uh, it, it resulted in, in, in cutting his life short. And of course, 
you know, the Council of Elders didn't necessarily take kindly to that. They drove Stephen out of the community and, and proceeded to, to stone him, or at least individuals stone him. We don't know if it was exactly the, the church elders. But Paul stood by and approved of this. He approved of the stoning of Stephen because he was like, this, this is what we got to do to these troublemakers. These lip flappers, these, these accusatory individuals who just feel as if somehow the kingdom of God is going to settle upon those who are outside of the appointed areas of worship. You know, we have appointed areas. We have, we have the temple. This is where worship should happen, this open-air ministry. This is something that was just added. So Paul, who was named Saul at the time, disapproved of anybody who was too attached to the personage of, of Christ, because it was a sort of a fanatical following that, that Jesus had. And those of you who know about the conversion of Saul realize that as he was on his way to Damascus to arrest followers of the way, he had an encounter with the risen Christ. Light shone around him, he fell to the ground, his eyes had something like scales over them, and a voice came to him and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, Lord, I don't know who you are. I don't know who I'm persecuting. He says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And so it was at that moment that, that, that Paul's encounter with this risen Christ and then being ushered into the city still blind, being received by Ananias, a devout Christian in that community who baptized him and gave him food and brought him into the household of faith, that Paul realizes that he has transitioned from being this hardcore practitioner of the law to someone who understood the spirit of the law, somebody who was, who was captured, not willingly, but quite beside himself by the spirit of God. So when he says in Romans, to love is the fulfillment of the law, that's a mouthful. Because this, these are not words that would come easy to Paul. That Paul was a keeper of the law. Paul understood the law. And the way that Paul and his, and his fellow Pharisees would execute the law, there didn't seem to be much love about it. It was very exacting. It was task-oriented. It was shaming. It was debasing. It was keeping people in their corner. It was, it was a power play. Now Paul is willing to give up all of that vast learning and the, 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 the power struggle and the prestige of being a person in the know in order to just love, in order to be able to respond and meet individuals in the like manner that Jesus did. And so after years of being an apostle, after years of going into various communities, sometimes having favorable response, sometimes having unfavorable response, but learning of the hardship of what it means to proclaim Christ crucified, risen to others, now he is realizing that the most important aspect of his ministry is to be able to underscore the importance of love. That is the agent that binds communities together. That is the agent that will propel the church into its future. Not the hard keeping of rules, the exacting nature of making sure that we've got all of our theology correct and our doctrinal issues and to make sure that we can demarcate what's a Lutheran from what's a Methodist, what's a Presbyterian from what's a Catholic, and all of these kinds of minutiae that humans love to debate at long hours. 
But ultimately, Paul says it really comes down to, do we have the stomach, do we have the wherewithal to meet others and where they're at and love them? We complicate things. Maybe the true reason why people have vacated from the church is because it's become so complex. It's become so heavy-handed that we're still really in uh, all about the rules and the formation and the conduct and the bowing and scraping instead of just love. Being excited to see individuals, being excited to hear their story. An exchange of ideas. An enthusiasm to be in their company. To learn from them. To be able to maybe share a little bit of our own wisdom. Why have we complicated the very beauty of being able to come together and to gather for worship? And then it becomes unpleasant because we realize that there's all of these rules and, and conduct and trappings that we have to keep. And if we don't know the right time to stand up and to bend down and to have all the secret gestures, then somehow we're, we're not expressing our faith appropriately and accurately. Now, of course, we're congregationalists, so there's not as much bending and scraping that goes on here, but there are some churches that are just steeped in regalia, steeped in lore, steeped in tradition. And we can get lost in all of that. And we can forget our reasons for why it is we even attached ourselves to a church. It's like, what was I supposed to do when I got here? Ah, hell, I forgot. Just, you know, just so long as I don't lose my place, as so long as I remember uh, what I'm supposed to do, you know, what's, what's the phrasing of that Lord's Prayer again? I still don't have the church covenant. Don't make fun of me. I still don't have the church covenant memorized. I probably never will. I've been here over 20 years. I still got to read it. I got to read it and make sure, you know, okay, what is it? Okay, yes, all right. Join heirs with Christ. Yes. Underline that. I know where to find it. <laughs> but are these things, are these trappings, even our sort of low-level liturgy, even that's enough to gum up our works? Because we can get so concerned about presentation, about the looks, about the image, about the appearance of seeming and looking like God's people that we forget to actually behave like God's people. And Paul is giving us an opportunity for us to think about what hospitality looks like. And, and, and that we have to err on the side of being willing to offer more pardons and more forgiveness than criticisms and corrections. That we have to be more willing to, to share and let bygones be bygones, whatever a bygone is. I don't know what a bygone is, but we need to let them be bygones. <laughs> and, and realize that the importance is the maintenance of the relationship. So I am encountering Paul at a very different place. I'm, maybe I'm encountering Paul at a different place now because I've put a few more years on my clock since the last time we've been over this passage because the lectionary cycles rolls in three years. So it's been three years since we've last looked at this. So we're all three years older since the last time we've heard this, unless, of course, it popped up in a devotional of yours and you read it and didn't really think too deeply about it. 
But as we're looking at it right now, I'm starting to think that, that, that now is the time for us to reconsider hospitality, to reconsider not only uh, spiritual and, and Christian hospitality as individuals, but also as the collective, as the people of God. I don't know how many times I have to go over the fact that there's no stored up conflict between us and the way we do worship and any other house of worship. There just isn't. There's, there's options and there are choices and you can worship at the place where you feel like that's, this is a good spiritual expression and you like what goes on there and you like the people there, but there is no difference between their call to love and our call to love. What happens is we get caught up in the particulars. We get caught up in the branding. Do you really, and this, and this is going to be some fighting words here, so help me, Marilyn, in case they come after me. Do you really believe that there's a difference between Ford and Chevy? Don't show me your hands, because I don't want to have to even, I don't even have to go there. But there are people who, who, who will swear, ride or die, that no, there's a difference. There, mm, there's, there's an absolute difference. And like, like you can smell the difference, right? Or if you're one of those diehard gearheads, you get your stethoscope out. My dad used to have a stethoscope. He put it on the engine. He could like tell when something was painting. I was like, okay, dad, you're geeking out, right? But you go, oh, you can tell. It's all made in China anyway now. Like all your parts come from the same, but that's okay. You can kid yourself to really believe that there's a difference. Because <laughs> this is the game we tell ourselves. We tell ourselves that there's a stink because it's a pride thing. It's a pride thing. We want, we want somehow to feel as if the God that we are serving at 429 McGregor is just a little bit shinier and a little bit more accessible than the God that might be down the street or across town or in some other state. And the problem is, is when we get so caught up in that thinking, that's when we start to deteriorate our call for hospitality. Then it's not hospitality in terms of everyone's welcome. It's a sort of hospitality that's like, you guys made the wrong choice, man. If you're not with us, I just, I, I, I can't help you. And we say that we don't, well, we don't mean to give that impression. We don't, we know everybody's welcome. I'm sorry that they felt hurt, that they felt, you know, we offered them cookies at the end of worship. Then that, that, what more can we do? Right? We told them, take fresh produce with you. We told them they can sit almost anywhere that they want when they come to church. And there's that sense in which we rationalize our ways of doing a sort of spotlight hospitality. It's not the floodlight. Not everyone's in the beam. You know when you're in a spotlight, when you're in it, you're, you're, you're bathed in that light. But you move a little bit out and you kind of get, because you, you can see the hard, you can see the hard circle and you can kind of a little bit, and pretty soon you're in the shadows, right? You're not in the light anymore. And I believe that when we do a sort of a spotlight hospitality, when the person is the recipient, when the individual is the recipient of the hospitality, oh, that's great. You're bathed in that light. Everyone notices you. They can see you. You're on point. You are the person of the moment. But put a foot wrong. Don't respond appropriately. Uh, say something off the cuff. Show your true colors. And then, mm, quick, here they come with the big, with the big, uh, that, you know, the gong show. They get that hook. Yes. 
and they pull you off the stage. Get out of my light. We don't want to see you anymore. And the shaming tactic happens in, in a variety of ways. I mean, sometimes it's just blatantly like, we don't want you here. But usually it's just those little subtle things where people just kind of get sidelined. They get forgotten. They're no longer called upon. They're no longer asked for their opinion or their ideas. They're just, we allow them to go and become invisible. I mean, they could be here. Like, literally, they could be here. But they're not really here with us. And that's felt. And that becomes apparent. And Paul is thinking about his career, and he's thinking about all the individuals at the beginning of his career that he was trying to sideline, that he was trying to cut short. And he needed to have a new opinion on those individuals. He needed to have new instruction. And, and thanks be to God that he was open to that new instruction. Because Paul was a powerful and charismatic individual. Most of the New Testament are letters from Paul. I mean, so he comprises a great deal of Christendom, and he has a tremendous influence in Christendom. Not all of it positive. But the aspect of what he has contributed only took, was only possible because he had that change of heart, he was open to new instruction, and he realized that his view was too narrow. So he is basically giving us the benefit of his experience and saying, don't be like me. Right? If we could like rub our hands together and have a, have a, uh, uh, a transfiguration and Paul popped up in the same way that Moses and Elijah popped up talking to Jesus. He'd be like, okay, listen, I'm only, I got five minutes here to tell you this. Here's some things that I've learned in my time as an apostle. I want to pass these tips on to you so you don't miss your opportunity. Because in a way, we are all called to convey the message of Christ. And the best way to do that is through deeds, through presence. But if our presence is one of a sort of a frosty demeanor, then a person is not going to feel as if somehow we're actually inviting them into something. Right? I mean, if, if it's sort of standoffish, if we present ourselves as, as having the answers and, and they're just so lucky that, 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 that they even get to see us, then there's not that sense that we're inviting them in, but it's more like, observe what I've done and then be off with you, peasant. But what Paul is, is trying to remind the Christian community is that he goes, there's going to be a lot of talk. There's a lot of talk about the gospel, but it boils down to our hospitality and love. It boils down in the ability for us to be able to occupy the same space and have value for the character that is with us, that we're interacting with, that we are privileged to serve. And I don't want this congregation, and I don't want any individual to forget that. Because if we get too caught up in particulars of why it is we like this gathering or why it is we like this type of theology or why this thing speaks to us or that speaks to us, if any of that stands in the way, if any of that equation doesn't add up to love, then, you know, then our math is wrong. Because ultimately, whatever it is that keeps you coming back, whatever it is that anchors you here, whatever it is that has you continuing to pursue with Christ, Hopefully, it should always be about the opportunities that you have to love and to share love and to grow in love. 
and to be able to exchange that because that's, that's pure gospel. That's true gospel. And there have been too many opportunities where people have taken this brilliant message of the gospel of Christ and have co-opted it for private gain. Co-opted it to use it as a, a, a platform for something nefarious, for some manner of exclusion. And I don't hear Paul telling us that, I, not in this passage. I hear Paul telling us that if we love, we are fulfilling the law. We are welcoming a new day, right? He says that the darkness is, is night. Night is passing away and we are entering into a new reality. That Paul speaks that there is a transformation that actually takes place. A dying to the old self, a dying to the old selfish ways, a dying to what he says, you know, the gratification and the desires and the seeking of, of the feathering of one's own nest. And looking at what, what we can get as opposed to what we can provide for the community. Why do you think we worship as a community? <laughs> We worship as a community because this, that's the charge. That's the responsibility. You look around the congregation and you see these other individuals and you realize we are in concert together. These are individuals for which when we join our forces, we can bring a, a, a greater impact of the will and purpose of God on our community. Jesus fashioned a small group of disciples, but look at the incredible things they did. He tells us in the gospel, where two or three are gathered, there I am in the Two or three. Two or three, there I am in the midst. There I am making it happen. There I am unfolding and unfurling a blessing. It's not complicated. If there is complication, it's in our capacity to be able to see it through. To be able to love, as I mentioned last week, the difficult to love. To bring ourselves to that, to that point of being able to meet the individual where they are at and to hold the space. And to not pass judgment. To not become frustrated because it doesn't seem to, they don't seem to acknowledge what we're doing. They don't seem to appreciate what we're doing. They don't seem to get it. And it's in that frustration that we feel as if we're not accomplishing anything, so we just, we just won't quit. This person's not responding to my love. This person doesn't seem to appreciate what I'm doing for them. This person is greedy. This person is selfish. Yeah, it happens. What are we going to do? We will quit them? Because it's, 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 in, it's in those situations, those really trying, testing situations, that we start to realize exactly what Jesus was up against. I mean, they, they did put the man on a cross. I mean, there's some discomfort 
involved with that. The same ones who claimed to love him, they, they kind of shrank away when the heat got up. And they're like, well, he's not with me. That's <laughs> what so Peter said. Peter's like, I don't know him. Mm-mm. I never seen him before. I don't know that guy's name. I said, what? Weren't you one of the ones with him? Mm-mm. Not me. One of them other guys. A lot of guys look my, a lot of guys have my look. <laughs> and Jesus is like, God forgive them. Forgive them. They're in a little period of misunderstanding. But he didn't say, man, as soon as I get off this cross, I'm going to head, I'm rolling heads. As soon as we roll the stone away, I'm going to roll your heads. I'm going to remember you. I'm taking names on all, I'm opening cases on every one of you. He didn't say that. There was no, there was, <laughs> there was no recrimination that was coming from the cross. Just love. Just love. Forgiveness. Understanding. This is who we attach ourselves to, as people of faith. We attach ourselves to the guy who can look down from a very uh, great point of disadvantage and look down on, on a crowd that is mocking and jeering and say, forgive you. I forgive you. And I'm still going to make it right. Right? Just give me three days. Just give me three days. I'm going to make it right. So if this is the, if this is the head of the operation, on our th authority, we have no other response than to reply in kind, than to come back time and time again to those dry spaces, difficult situations, hard to love individuals, and begin again, because that is what Jesus would have us do. That is what Paul, through his seasons of life, has learned, that ultimately it is all about the effectiveness of our ability to maintain love, to cultivate it, to convey it. If nothing else, if at the end of your days, the only thing that you can remember about the Gospels is something about love, we've done our job. I don't care if you've forgotten the Lord's Prayer, if there was that one hymn whose words escape you, if you can't remember the 23rd Psalm, if you, you can't remember the first five books of the Bible, it does, these things don't matter, okay? If you can remember that the time that we've spent together and all the hours of sermons that you've ever heard and all the Bible studies that you've ever attended, if you can remember at the end of your days that it was about love, then the message has been conveyed. So with that firmly implanted and embedded in our hearts, we have to engage that message. We have to live that message. My meditation last week was to invite the congregation to think about reconciliation, to think about the individual that they had on their heart that they were going to reach out to. Because it's a pride thing to say that, well, they need to reach out to me. No. You're in the command seat. We can reach out. And the power of reconciliation is the, is the, is the 
seedbed of love. Because then pride melts away. Pride melts away and says, you know what? There's no more score to be settled here. I'm not angry anymore. I'm not upset. I'm concerned. I, I want to reconnect. I want to re-engage. Because as we have learned, as I've learned this past weekend with the people who are transitioning and moving on to the, to the spirit world, we don't have a lot of time. We always think we do. I keep thinking I have a lot of time, but I don't know. You never know what's going to happen, right? But we have right now, we have this moment. So if there's an expression of love that you've been kind of sitting on and that you need to, to dust off and put into play so someone can be the recipient of that, don't wait. Please don't wait. Do what you have to do. Reach out. Make the first means of contact. Don't worry about how they're going to receive you and how you expect to be received. You reach out. You make that connection. You convey that love to the best of your ability. In doing that, you are bringing the gospel into the life of someone else. God will make the connections. I truly believe that. I truly believe that God will make the connections if we put in that effort. So don't withhold. Let's not be stingy about something that was freely given to us to begin with. It is given to us. It is a gift. We pay it forward. We let the Holy Spirit massage and create the kind of community that, of course, we all wish to live in. I wish you very well on these endeavors and know that as you do so, you're not alone. God is with you.